Welcome into the Wednesday Bible study. Uh, so good to have you back here with us on the, uh, the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel, or if this has been sent to you by somebody, or the Rick and Bubba podcast channel. If you're watching live, the only thing that's available to you live is the YouTube channel. So hello to you. Uh, also, hello to all the men that are, that are here. We have some right there. Look right there. There's a seat right there. Right there. Y'all hold up and point at the empty seats when they come in. So, uh, so we, we thank you for being here. Thanks to all the men that are here in the studio uh, with us. Uh, we got a great, uh, a great crowd today. Some things that we'll talk about briefly. And then we'll dive right in. Themanchurch.com is live. Praise the Lord. It is live. And this is a, a hub for if you're watching this and you know, you're wanting to start a small group uh, for men, a, a discipleship strategy at your church or your community, uh, this is what this is all about. We have uh, The Pursuit, which is a 40-week curriculum. You can go and do a la carte and, and buy it in groups if you want to do Don't Can't do all 40 weeks. We have other resources that we recommend. Uh, yes, uh, we will certainly show you the discipleship strategy. We are participating. We'll plug our curriculum into an event that you already have if you don't have curriculum. But yes, we will host events as well. It's not our main focus, but we do have some opportunities for you to do events with us also. All of this can be found at themanchurch.com. Also, my wife's book, Bronner, A Journey to Understand. The audio version is available if you are going through a difficult time, if you have the question, where is God in the middle of all this pain and suffering? Uh, it, is, uh, it is an outstanding book that, uh, that goes into Scripture to find those answers. If you uh, have not read it, certainly you can get a hard copy anywhere. But if you'd love to hear the audio book, that's brand new with my wife narrating it. It's available wherever audio books are sold. So I so want to update you on those two things, and let's pray, and let's jump right into today. Lord Jesus, thank you for a, a time for us to get together to study your word. Lord, we, we're just so impacted every time we get into your word. You call this uh, the, the, the sword. Everything else we hear about uh, of the armor of God is all about defense, but the sword is offense. And you talked about that your church will, will that, that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Uh, it's time for, for us to go on offense as a church. And this is what we're going to talk about today. You're telling the disciples we got to be on offense. Uh, and we'll talk about that today, Lord. Uh, I pray that you take today and, and refine us into the people that only you can make us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. One last note, we will not be here next week. I'm on vacation next week, so next Wednesday there'll be no Bible study here in the studio. There'll be no Bible study live on YouTube. It'll be a great time for you to go back and listen to maybe parts of the Gospel of John you missed, or if you're caught up on the Gospel of John and you'd like to go back to past Bible studies, go to BurgessMinistries.com. Uh, click on listen, or you can go to this YouTube channel and hit the playlist, and you'll see the past ones there also. So you remember we did not finish John 14. Got a lot of feedback on John 14, not just here, but from all over the country and around the world. Um, you know, I, I, you always know you have a good one when you see that people are passing it around, and you also know you have a good one if it develops more thumbs down. You know, these people that go to the, go to the YouTube channel, th thumbs down. Uh, I don't know who these people are. Some of them thumbs down before they even listen to it. I think that's a thumbs down directed directly at me. Uh, but anyway, so, so it did spawn because last week was very challenging. But I want you to understand, it wasn't challenging because Rick went out and came up with something he wrote down. It was challenging because it was right out of the Word of God. I mean, that was John 14. That's what Jesus said in John 14. So we didn't get to finish that, so we're going to finish the last part, and then we're going to go into 15 a little bit, and hopefully we can get all that in today. So if you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, you know we ended last week in John 14, 24. So let's look at John 14, 25, and we'll finish out this, and then we'll get ourselves into chapter 15. So here's what Jesus uh, says. We're still red words, so Jesus still talking. He said, "The things I have spoken to you while I am these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you." Now this is incredible. You know what made me think about this? It made me think about Romans chapter eight. You remember we went through the book of Romans here. Uh, and if you missed that, you can find that in the archives. Remember when these incredible words of Paul, when it says that sometimes the Holy Spirit will jump in and pray what you ought to be praying? I mean, meaning the Holy Spirit would even correct if, if we're doing the wrong thing. So this is Jesus telling them that what Paul's going to be talking uh, about in Romans, this is I'm about to give you the helper. Some of your Bibles may say counselor. He says, so I'm going to give you this helper. And he tells us what it is. John doesn't say, hey, good luck figuring out what the helper is. He tells us what it is. He says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, 
whom the Father will send in my name. And, and he says that, that, that he continues to speak of his departure and that that's good. And he's also telling us about the promise of the Holy Spirit. And he says, the Holy, it's good that I go. Remember, there's greater works you're going to do than even we've already done. And all this is tied to the complete manifestation of, of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us the power of, of, in its fullness of the triune God. And he says, so now, even if you get to where you can't remember what I taught you, the Holy Spirit will bring it back to you. So, so this is where that standard changes we're talking about. Jesus says, when you guys get the Holy Spirit, all this you know, misconception, all this lack of clarity. So here is the conviction to us. If you are in this room, you are watching this YouTube, you're listening to this podcast. If you claim to have been reconciled back to the Holy Father through the sacrifice paid by Jesus, and then you receive the Holy Spirit, let's look into our lives. Do we see the evidence of the Holy Spirit? Are we still kind of meandering around uh, like, like the, the disciples did before they received the Holy Spirit? Remember what we talked about? And we're going to, I think one of the curriculums you'll see coming to themanchurch.com in 2021 is I think we need to be teaching more that the standard goes up. Dallas Willard, remember we studied Dallas Willard and some of y'all wanted to fire me as a teacher because that, that book, that book was, was just, it was just, man, I'm telling you, a lot of work, wasn't it, Benny? But remember, Dallas Willard said, I think one of the problems with the church is we're selling the gospel too low. People, people don't think it really changes you all that much. It just, it's just you've done enough not to go to hell. And that's not what the, the Bible teaches at all. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is going to be a game changer. So let's go to verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now, he's, he's doubling down on, I mean, he's already said this, if you remember, uh, uh, in, in the very beginning of chapter 14, and now he's coming back on some of this and saying, I want to remind you again, he says, when I go and you receive the Holy Spirit, when I go, guess what I'm going to leave behind? Peace. Jesus will create peace between sinful man and a holy God. He's also saying, look, I'm going to also give you peace that you're going to cling to in your worst times of trouble. That's why he says, don't let your heart be troubled, because I'm going to leave you what you need to keep your heart from being troubled. Don't miss that. That's important. So he says, he says the world is powerless to give you that peace. Men, look at me right here. Stop it. Stop it. Stop trying to find in this world, these things that only God can provide. Just stop it. I mean, how, do you want to just stay frustrated the rest of your life? If you want this peace that God has promised, you can't find it in the world. The world will give you moments of happiness, but it'll never give you peace. And that's the reason why, I mean, how many more suicides do we have to have of people that had everything that the world said they're supposed to have in order to achieve this peace, and they can't ever do it. And, they, and, and, and so he says, I don't give peace like the world. You know, all, you know, the world promoting peace is almost like one of these infomercials, you know, where, where you, you think, i got to have that ShamWow. But then, you, but, but, then, but then you get it, and you realize, well, this thing really doesn't do everything they said it would do. It's, the world is nothing but a carnival barker telling you it's got peace, and God says, and, and God says through his narrator, Jesus, don't buy into that because if the world tells you it can give you peace, it's lying to you. Only I can give peace. The world never will. Can somebody say amen to that? Amen. So Jesus is about to not only just pour out the power of the Holy Spirit, the resolve to advance his kingdom, guess what else he's about to pour out? Peace. And isn't, isn't that what the whole world really wants? I mean, it, peace. Remember, we'll get it, he'll, he'll get, get this again in, 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 uh, verse, in chapter 16 when we get into that great 1633, but we'll get to that later. So Jesus says, not only is there about to be power that the world has never seen, there's about to be peace like the world has never seen. Why? He's resolved our biggest problem. Where's the peace come from, Rick? He's resolved the issue of sinful man and, and a holy God. My, the youngest son that I have here on earth, my, my true youngest is already in heaven, but the youngest son I have on earth, when he made his decision for Jesus, that was the vision. It was so cool, him looking at his mama, and he says, what am I doing over here? Because she said, right now you're sinful man. And, and here's, here's the gulf. Sinful man cannot be in the presence of, whole, of the holy God. And he says, 
what am I doing over here? And she says, well, you need Jesus to get you over there. And so he, he understood that even as a child. He's continued to be sanctified, and he's still working out his spiritual maturity. But even as a child, he understood, I see what Jesus did. So even on his worst day, and he still has peace because, because he understood that Jesus has resolved his biggest problem. Isn't it good to figure that out early in life, that your problems have already been resolved? So that's where the peace is. So let's look at first, uh, verse 28. Verse 28. Uh, you, you heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the father. Here he goes with you. If you love me again, you know, just like we last week when everybody was saying, Rick, how many times is Jesus going to say this until we get it? I guess. But he said the disciples had failed to love Jesus enough to understood what he's about to do. And Jesus said, look, if you had loved me as much as you say you love me, you would have been glad that I was going to the Father because my departure answers uh, will, will now ensure their passage to the Father that they've claimed to believe in their whole life, and you'll dwell forever. This should be joyful love for Jesus and should have been celebrated because then he goes on to say what? Because the Father is greater than, than me. Look at this. He says, so if, if you... If you um, if you heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father for the Father is greater than me. So what he's saying is you should be rejoicing this because I've been 100% God, yes, but I've also had to be 100% man. I'm about to go to the cross. 100% man is about to be over. I'm going to return to my proper glory. And that means you should be celebrating this because I'm going to go to the Father and say, when I go back to the Father, the Father's greater than me because I'm going to drop this 100% man thing. I'm going back to 100% God, and now I'm back into the glory that I'm supposed to be. You should be celebrating this because it's about to get better. And if you really loved me, you would have known who I was. You'd have this figured out, and you would be anticipating this great moment that's about to happen. Instead, you're all sad sacks talking about where you're going. And see, I think sometimes we get like that, don't we? You know, and all, all Jesus ever hears us do is complain. Why is this happening? Why didn't this happen? Why, what about this? Man, I'm getting older. Well, yeah, you're getting older because you, mankind decided to turn against God. But Jesus said, but that's all right. Get to the point where Paul was. Get to the point where these guys will get after the Holy Spirit, where you say, I'm here. I'm here. To live as Christ, I'll do whatever you want me to do. But deep down, I'm kind of anticipating and I'm getting excited about whenever you come back or whenever I die my earthly death. And you know what else we get to do because of Jesus? You know what else we get to do? We get to drop this flesh too. We get to drop this flesh too. And you know what we get to say? It's good that I go. It's good that I go because now I can actually walk in with a sanctified body and actually be where I was supposed to be in the beginning and the way the garden was supposed to be, we get to return to the way it was supposed to be. Thanks to Jesus. Man, how can you not love Jesus? If you don't love Jesus, there's something wrong with you. What else has he got to do? And then he says, well, if you really love me, then you'd obey me. Then, then, then you'd be fired up about what I'm fired up about. And so that's what he's telling them. He said, the fact you can't get this means you say you love me, but you don't really love me the way you got to. And that's going to come when what happens? They get the Holy Spirit. Which, by the way, we're on the other side of that. If I said that enough, we got that yet? So, so anyway, all right, verse 29. By the way, somebody brought that up the other day, and they said, we got that. Okay, well, I want to be sure. And I know I've told you before it takes place, so, so that when it takes place, you may believe. I love this. This is just when Jesus sometimes says, look, this, this is not to shame you. I'm not trying to put you down, but I'm telling you right now to do nothing more because he does love them. Now, the question is how much they love him, but he loves them just like he loves you. That's not the question. Like we said, it's whether we love him. He may not approve of you, but he certainly loves you. So, so he says, I'm just telling you this because I love you enough so you won't panic when this happens. You're going to start seeing things happen that I said was going to happen, and I'm trying to prepare you so that you'll understand when it actually occurs. Praise the Lord for that. Look at verse 30. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let's go from here. Hey, let's go. It's on. 
So what does he mean here? Jesus is ending this discourse. Satan, he's telling them, when he's talking about the ruler of this world, that's Satan. Satan is about to put me to death, but he has no hold on me. Because my crucifixion will throw his dominion into the trash. He has dominion over the world right now because why? He went into the garden and he pulled a fast one and he deceived mankind and he took away from you what my father intended you to have. He got it legitimately. He did it. So he now rules the world. But when I go to the cross and he kills me, his moment, what he thinks of great victory, is going to be the moment of his greatest defeat. He thinks that he's the one taking me to the cross, but I'm the one taking myself to the cross. And he's going to be foiled because I'm going to the cross and I'm going to go to that cross and I'm going to pay the debt for your sin that you should be paying, but I'm going to pay it and then I'm going to pay it. I'm going to allow the Father's wrath to come down on me instead of you. I'm going to go into the tomb. I'm going to come out and I'm going to, I'm going to defeat eternal death and I'm going to take this authority that the ruler of the world has, and I'm going to bring it back, and I'm going to return it to where it was supposed to be. I'm the ruler, and I represent you now. So I'm bringing back the authority that Satan took away from you, but only to those who are in me, which we'll get into here in just a minute. Everybody got that? So that, that's what he's talking about, and that, that's something to, to celebrate. He says, hey, Satan's dominion is about to be over, Satan, you know, why, why did, so this is kind of deep. I looked at some of this. It was kind of cool. It's kind of elementary. We can understand the elementary part of this, but let me tell you something that's a little deeper. The thing that's happened, the reason why Satan's dominion is about to be destroyed is because when he came into the garden and he convinced us to sin, that he legitimately took it. But see, Jesus has no sin. So Satan really has no legitimate charge against him. So what's going to happen is this is going to be an unjustified uh, attack of Satan. And when Satan kills the perfect lamb, the final lamb, he's actually killed a blameless lamb. So the charge against Jesus will be found un not guilty. See, we were guilty, but Jesus wasn't. So really, Satan destroyed himself by killing the wrong person. Because there's no charge against Jesus. And you know why there's no, no charge against Jesus? Because Jesus says, I always do whatever my Father commands, which was the example to us. All right, so Jesus now goes into 15. He's going to take the, if you love me, obey my commands, and he's going to go another way with it, but it's going to be a very similar theme. This time he's going to use the theme of the vine. Now, fruitfulness continues to be the goal as we go into 15. Uh, that's the goal of the disciple of Jesus. So what is a disciple of Jesus? What does that mean? I'm a disciple of Jesus. In Calhoun County terms, this means if you're a disciple of Jesus, that means you do whatever Jesus says, or you say whatever Jesus says to say, and you do whatever Jesus says to do. There's that obedience again. That's what a disciple does. A disciple doesn't say, nah, I don't know, maybe. We'll see. I don't, I don't really like that command. Not sure I'm going to do that. That's not a disciple. No, that's someone who still has made God themselves. I'm in charge, and I'll do whatever I feel like doing. That's not a disciple. So, so in every disciple of Jesus, fruitfulness, as you're going to find out, Jesus says, should be there. Now, he's going to use this vine analogy, and I could give you a plethora of verses for you to go back through on how the vine has been used throughout Scripture in the Old Testament to represent Israel. And what he is saying when he starts out, that the vine is Jesus, and this is the new covenant. I am now the true vine. Israel is not. Because if you look throughout Scripture, one of the things you saw was that God kept condemning the vine, Israel, because it really had failed to produce the fruit he said it should be producing. So what Jesus is going to come in and say, look, I'm the true vine. we got a new covenant now. And uh, so, so the, uh, you're going to see throughout this, the, this whole chapter, and especially the verses we'll cover today, Disciples can be described in these terms. Obedience, we talked about that last week. Perseverance, we're going to talk about that today. Revelation, understanding all the truth of the matter. And love. So if you say, I'm a disciple, are you obedient? Do you persevere? Do you understand? Do you have the revelation? And do you actually love people and, and love Jesus? 
Because these, you'll see these terms will be everywhere. So let's start in verse 1. Verse 1. I am the true vine. I've explained that to you. And my father is the vine dresser. Some interpretations say my father is the gardener. See, now watch this. The father is not merely in the background anymore. And, and look what he says about it. He says, and uh, he, he's going to let us know that the father's going to come in and trim and prune the branches. That would be us. I told you that the Old Testament, Israel was, 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 the, was the vine, but they did not reflect uh, the fruit that, that God said should be there. They had failed to produce the fruit. So Jesus says, now I'm the true vine, and I'm going to give the ability to actually produce fruit this time. Does that make sense? This is a new deal. I'm, I'm the true vine. Israel is not. And I'm going to step in, and not only I'm going to demand the same fruitfulness that my father, by the way, has always demanded, but what I'm going to do now is I'm going to take those, that are the branches, that's us, the disciples, the church, and I'm going to enable those branches because of my power. I will give them the power to, to produce fruit. And you'll see as we go on, what he's saying is, so if you're not producing fruit, it's not because of my inability to produce it. Something's wrong with our relationship. You're not connected to the vine. So, so that will now be the theme. And if you want to see some of this Old Testament stuff, there were a bunch of verses, but you can jot down Psalms 80. Uh, right there around verse 7, and you'll see one of the examples of Israel being called the vine. So he says, I'm now the true vine. Look at verse 2. So in verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, now wait a minute. Don't, don't just read over this. It's deeper. Because when you first look at it, I've been guilty of this. Okay, I got you. We got to... We got some that bear fruit. They're right. The ones that don't, they're wrong. It's deeper than that. It's deeper than that. So don't miss this because this is another one of those answers about pain and suffering. So, so look at this. Jesus is the vine. His disciples and us, we're, we're the branches. The Father then prunes and trims any branch that does not bear fruit. And then it bears much more fruit. So, but then you get to the rough part, but he's also going to cut off the dead wood so that the healthy branches can actually bear fruit. See, it's deeper than just bear fruit, good branch, don't bear fruit, bad branch. It's not what he said. He said, the vines are going to bear fruit, and if we've got some that aren't bearing fruit, then my father's going to come in and prune them and trim them and disciple those that, I mean, discipline those that he loves. He's going to do whatever he has to do to be sure that this, this, this. So what that means, here's a vine, I mean a branch that's to the vine, which means this person has redemption. This person really has been saved. But this one isn't bearing fruit. We don't see the obedience. We don't see the, the advancement of the kingdom. We're looking into this truly saved person's life, and he is connected to the vine, but he's not producing fruit. So what the father says, so I'll do what I have to do to be sure that that person does. You ever had that happen in your life? I've been pruned and I've been trimmed by the gardener. And you know what? He was right. Those of you that know anything about trimming and gardening, you know this is true. This is what really happens. And this is the visual. But look at the other part, though. He says, but here, here's another thing that my father will do. He says, he, he takes away every branch that does not bear fruit. He prunes it that it may bear more fruit. But, but don't forget, it also says that, that he will jump in and he will get rid of any fruit, uh, any vine that is, I mean, any branch that's not connected to the vine. It dies. The dead wood's got to go. So now the, the true the branches that are connected to the, the vine will start producing even more fruit. Look at three. Already you you, you clean because of of uh, you are already you are clean because the world that I have uh, because of the word that I have spoken to you. He said, "Now I'll be clear. You're already clean. Now what does that mean? Does that does that mean they're okay and everything's fine? Now what he's saying is because of the new covenant, because of all the stuff we've been through. Once I go to the cross and he says, "I've been teaching you." It's like how many people here love a do over? Man, thank you, Jesus, for being the Lord of do-overs, okay? What he's saying is, I'm about to clear all this mess up, and I'm going to give you the right start. I'm gonna make, you're going to be clean. 
And he says, because of the word I'm talking to you about me going to the cross, I'm going to give you, I'm going to start you off clean and I'm giving you a fresh start. But then he goes on to say, now, once you get that fresh start, there's some things you better do. Are y'all listening? Jesus is about to say, there's some things you better do. Okay. So let's look at this. So here's what he says next. There's, and this word is paramount in 1 John when he's talking about obedience and, and who's the children of God and who are the children of the devil. But this is long before that. Here's Jesus saying it, which is where John learned it. Abide in me. Abide in me and I in you as, as, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So I got all fired up about the word abide because it seems to be really important in the Bible. So here's some of the definitions of, of the word abide in English. To accept, to act in accordance with, with to obey. Uh, I, I love this one. To, to, to remain, to stay, to persevere. Uh, and, 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 I, and I love because he says, I remain in you and you remain in me. And, and we have to be in concert with Jesus. He's saying, Branch, you can't leave the vine. You, you better stay connected to the vine. So, so what, what he's saying is, and if you go to like to 1 John, you'll see 1 John, he keeps saying, those that abide with Jesus actually obey him. That's, they're, they're, if you abide in Jesus, God's seed abides in you, and then that produces a life-changing experience of fruit that begins to flow, not from us. The fruit is actually flowing from what? The vine. So we don't have the ability through legalism and self-control and I've kind of got my act together. What he's saying is if you abide in Jesus Christ, he'll get your act together. You can't help it. How'd this happen? When did I stop doing these things I used to do? Why am I now? I'm, I'm kind of on fire for Jesus. I feel drawn to him now because you abide in him. Now I'm going to tell you this. Look at me. You're never going to produce fruit if you don't remain in Jesus. You remember, I, I tried to give you that visual and it really has changed my life. Because I'm going to tell you this. You know what I'm terrified of? Myself. We were just having this conversation. I mean, look, I haven't made it yet. I mean, you know what I'm going to do to make sure that you don't get your heart broken by me? I'm going, and if I decide not to do it, then I'm probably going to break your heart. And I'm going to break Sherry's heart. I'm going to break my kid's heart. I'm going to break Jesus' heart. I'm going to cause all kinds of confusion if I don't abide in Jesus. So I literally have this visual that this is Jesus standing here, and here's his waist, and I'm going to abide in the vine. I literally picture myself taking my arms and wrapping around Jesus' waist and just burying my head in, into his stomach and just say, I ain't ever going to let you go. Because if I let you go, I know what I'm capable of. I can't, I can't have a day that I say, I'm not going to abide today. Today, I'm going to get off the vine and get out here and see how I do. You ever seen a branch that somebody takes away from the vine? You know what it ends up being, don't you? Firewood. It dies. So we, 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 we must abide. And this is Jesus saying, if you want to, be, if you want to do what I'm going to tell you to do, you got to abide in me. And that means we remain. We never let him go. We don't have cultural Christianity. This is not part. This is not one of the things on our list. It is the thing. Everything flows from the vine. Everything I do comes through the filter of Jesus. Everything, not some things. You must abide in Jesus. Then he goes back to verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. That's exactly what we just talked about. I don't even think there's anything to add to that. I mean, bearing fruit is is to, to the Father's glory. And he said, if you're going to be my disciples, and I love this, if you're going to be my disciples, fruit bearing is so bound up with, with the general discipleship. Disciples and fruitfulness are the same thing. Say that again. Disciples and fruit bearing are so tied together according to Jesus that they're practically the same thing. What is fruitfulness? Discipleship. What do disciples do? Bear fruit. What does bearing fruit mean? I'm a disciple. So what are you? I'm a fruit bearer. 
Is there another word for that? Disciple. What is a disciple? A fruit bearer. You see that? They go together. And somehow we've come up with some version that I can somehow be a disciple and not be a fruit bearer. You can't. No, if you're not a fruit bearer, then you're not a disciple. According to the Bible. Let me tell you something. Who cares what I think about it? And I don't care what you think about it. What I'm saying is Jesus Christ has said this uh, in a way that I think I can understand. Now, does that mean that, that, that it's easy to do? To do? Apparently not, because he said, I have to abide in him. And in Matthew 7, he actually told me that to abide in him means to enter through a narrow, narrow gate, and actually this is going to be a hard life. You know why? Because abiding in Jesus and bearing fruit is easy to do when the world works with you. Abiding in Jesus and bearing fruit in a fallen creation is a heck of a ride. It's difficult because it's filled with all kinds of really hard things. I'm abiding fruit today. Will you abide fruit when your kid gets sick? Yes. yes. Are you going to keep abiding in me and still bear fruit when you lose your job? Are you going to still abide in me and keep bearing fruit when your friends turn on you? Are you going to still abide in me and bear fruit when your family turns on you? Are you going to still abide in me and bear fruit when you get a bad diagnosis for yourself? Are you going to still abide in me and bear fruit when your, fam when your, your parents start going through Alzheimer's? When, when you're bathing your parent, are you still going to abide in me and bear fruit? Because I'm in all this. I haven't left. This is just what a fallen creation looks like. I love that in my wife's book. If you want to know where God is in all this, he's right in the middle of it. I heard Steve Farrar say today, he said, if you were to somehow be able to lasso light, which moves at 186,000 miles a second, and you were to somehow be able to ride on a ray of light, do you realize how far you can go in a few minutes at 186,000 miles an hour? He said, if you were to ride that light all day long, and finally get tired and step off and say, I'm going to rest here. He said, wherever you step off, God is there. God is there. You can't get away from him. He's everywhere. Even in the hard stuff. But if you abide in Jesus, even in the hard stuff, you know what you look to Jesus? Hey, I'm hanging on to you, Jesus. You're abiding in me. What am I supposed to do? I'll tell you. I'll do it. Just abide in me. Discipleship and fruit bearing are the same thing. By the way, that's a takeaway. If you got notes and you're not writing right now, you have failed in this class. <laughs> hey, let me tell you something. That's a write down. Okay, uh, let's go. Let's go to verse nine. Remember, the cheapest pen is more valuable to you than the greatest memory. So, so, uh, so then we get into what we shouldn't do. Let's look at six. Here, here's here's what we don't want to do. He says, if anyone does not abide in me. He is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into a fire and burned. Okay, we don't want to be there. That's what I just said. So I don't want to abide in Jesus. Okay, then you'll wither and you'll die and you'll be thrown in the fire. Rick, can you clarify that? Do I need to? If you disconnect from Jesus, raise your hand if you ever disconnected from Jesus and withered and died. Hey, you know what? I guess the Bible's right. I, I guess this stuff really does happen. So you mean to tell me if I abandon Jesus that I'll lose my way? You certainly will, and you'll wither and die. And if you don't get yourself back into the vine, you're going to be thrown into hell. You do know you cannot walk your way in front of a holy God without the vine. Here comes a branch. Where's the vine? I'm just kind of on my own here. Well, you're, you're, you're withered, dried, and dead. I can't do anything with you. I'll throw you in the fire. That's what you're good for. You're good for fire. Okay? A lot of write-downs today, guys. A lot of write-downs. I've, I've realized i got to bring some notebooks. All right, so it's men's ministry. I know I have to walk you all the way through it. I got it. Okay. I've learned. Men's ministry, hey, y'all are difficult, but it pays. Okay, here we go. Because I'm difficult too, so I get it. Uh, all right, so look at seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Here we go. Health, wealth, and prosperity, guys. Tap the brakes. Tap the brakes. This is the same thing he's talked about before. What he, what he is saying here is he says, if you remain in him, then all that we ask for will always be in the will of God. Now, so you don't miss this. Health, wealth, and prosperity people take this kind of stuff, and they run with it. Now, they'll ignore all the verses before it and after, which you can have a blast with the Bible if you ignore what's before it and after 
You know, so re- remember, my pastor taught me, if you see the word therefore, look what it's there for. Okay, so, so what he's saying here, and this is kind of a, a therefore moment, he's meaning, so if you abide in me, and our relationship is properly right, then whatever you ask in the name of Jesus, which means, so I want it under Jesus' authority, then whatever you ask of me, and whatever I say yes to, will always be in God's will. I'm not going to give you a yes to anything that's not in God's will. I represent the Father. The Father and I am one. If we get in sync, whatever you ask under the name of Jesus, remember, your will be done. And where did, where, did, did he give some credibility on that? Yeah, what did he say he did to, for his Father? I do whatever the will of the Father. I'm here to do, I do whatever pleases the Father. So if you get right with me, then the things you'll start asking for, back to the Holy Spirit, getting you to pray what you ought, you'll actually be asking me for the things that are in my will. You won't ask for anything else. This is not a Christmas list. This is, okay, I want to be in your will. That's right. You'll get to the point where you'll want to be in my will. You'll pray in my will. You do realize when you say in Jesus' name, you're saying, Jesus, counter this if it's in you. In Jesus' name means as long as it's in the will of Jesus and the will of the Father and the will of God, then may it be done. If it's not, then fine. All right, so let's move on to 8. Verse 8. Man, this is good again this week, isn't it? Who would have thought that the words of Jesus would be something? (laughs) By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove, I underline prove, to be my disciples. (gasps) Wait a minute. So I can't just declare I'm a disciple? No. You know what Jesus is saying? Tell you what, I'm a disciple of Jesus, and I love Jesus. You know what Jesus said? Prove it. Rick, are you talking about a works-based salvation? Mm-mm, I'm not talking about that at all. Because Jesus does all the work. He's just saying, stop saying you're my disciple if there's no proof of it. Because you're not. That, that's, that's, like, that's like somehow, you know, me declaring to you that I am shirtless. Tell you one thing, I'm shirtless. Right now I'm shirtless. And you're like, I think we see a shirt on you. Can you prove that you're shirtless? Well, don't you see it? No, we don't. You'd have to prove that. So in order to prove it, I'd have to have my shirt off right now, which I don't want that. But I'm just saying... You know, Jesus said, look, people can see. He does this in Matthew 7. Boy, a lot, Matthew 7. If you haven't gone through Matthew 7, you really should. But, but he's just saying, look, everybody says things. People make all kinds of claims. You know, I'm not the first. I didn't come up with this analogy, and I don't really know who, who did. Yet, some of y'all may know. But I love the analogy of the court case. You have been, you know, you have, you have been charged with being a follower of Jesus. That's the charge against you. You're a disciple of Jesus. So now let's do the the court, let's go through the trial, and then at the end of the trial, based on the evidence, the jury will decide whether you're guilty or not. They may let you go because they didn't see evidence of it. So this is what Jesus is talking about. So let's look at next. And he says, and and those those that are the disciples, he said, you know, that'll be to the Father's glory. That'll be to the Father's glory. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And then let's, let's look at 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You know what? This is that thing Jesus does. I'm not asking you to do anything I didn't do. See, I'll follow that guy. Won't y'all? Kind of hard to follow people that want you to do something, but they live by a different standard, right? That's kind of how socialism is. The ruling class, they don't do the things the rest of us have to do. Why somebody want to be a socialist? I'll tell you why. The ones who want to be in the ruling class. I promise you, the Castro brothers, they're living much different in Cuba than everybody else. So, so, so what, what, what's happening here is Jesus is saying, just follow my example. You know, he, he says, you, you've watched how I interact with the Father, and that's how you interact with me because interacting with me is now interacting with the Father because if you've seen the Father, you've seen me, the Father and I are one. So, as the Father has loved me, that's the same way that I love you. Abide, remain in my love. If, if, little word, big meaning, little word, big meaning, if, 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 two letters, big word though. If, if you keep my commandments, somebody say if, if 
you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So abiding in Jesus' love is keeping his commandments, apparently, because that's what he said. So I'm not really abiding in Jesus if I don't keep his commandments. That is correct. Because what that means, I didn't remain. I've decided, I mean, do you feel like that you're, how many have children? And that's why you're all here, isn't it? So how many of you feel like that your children abide in love for you when they don't do what you tell them? Does that feel that way? It doesn't, does it? It means, eh, hey, Dad, I bought into some of it. No, I wanted you to buy into all of it. Well, some of it, Dad, I'll do. No, I want you to do all of it. Do y'all like for your children to tell you what they will and won't do? I'm not a huge fan of that. <laughs> you, you ever been in a house where the children tell the parents what to do? It's really uncomfortable and can be very awkward if they continue it if I'm there. <laughs> um, no, I really had that happen one time. It was very uncomfortable. I, I, I was coaching a team one time long, long ago. Probably somewhere else, not even around here. Uh, I was uh, somewhere. Um, and I was coaching a team, and one of the guys helping coach, his son was on the team, and his son popped off to him several times. Um, and, and I was shocked by the lack of response. And it really did happen. I, I didn't know what to do, so I, I said, wait a minute, I think there's a hierarchy here because I was the head coach. So I said, hey, let me stop you right here. Hey, Dad, can I see you just a minute? Hey, yes, you guys go over and start throwing, stay loose. Come here. I don't know the deal with you two. I really don't. I can't stand to hear you talk to your dad like this. It's really, look, I don't, look, I don't mean to offend you. When y'all get in the truck and leave, I guess you let him do whatever you want to. But when y'all come on this field, this is where I'm in charge. So when y'all come on this field, you will not speak to another coach on this team, whether he's your dad or not, that way again or I will get rid of you. And the dad says, you're going to get rid of my kid? I said, oh, easily. <laughs> and, and I said, so if this dynamic is going to continue, then y'all both got to go. Because I'm not going to sit here and let a, a teenager talk to his daddy like that. That's not going to happen here. Now, I'm, it ain't none of my business when y'all leave. But when you're out here, this will not happen. And so it was resolved. But, 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 but what I'm saying is, is that is that God is saying the same thing through his son. You see the example between my father and I? That's how we're going to work. And if you keep my commandments, then you truly are abiding in my love. Just as I've kept my father's commandments. I showed you an example of what to do. Boy, we're really glad he did that in the garden, aren't we? Huh? Right? So, so he says, so that's how, that's how it works. Now look at verse 11. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Now, now we're going. Now this this is good. I like this right here. Jesus promised his peace. We just did that in John fourteen twenty seven. He insists that they remain in his love in fifteen ten. Now the next thing he promises is joy. He's promising that this obedience will not be burdensome to us. It will actually bring joy. Remember, he says, "Hey, hey, look, hey." My commandments aren't burdensome. Guys, you got to get in your mind this. God is, is trying to say, let me, let me save you a lot of trouble. Do things the way I say to do them. I'll give you the power to desire the way I want things done. Have you ever done things the way God said to do them, and then you looked around and said, ah, this is better. Well, suddenly we become the guy in green eggs and ham. You know what I mean? I do like green eggs and ham. Hey, this is pretty good. I, I mean, this is, I guess God knows what he's doing. Yeah, probably so. Since he created everything, and he's the beginning and the end, he likely knows what to do. He's got a great resume. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's impressive. <laughs> you remember when he told Job his resume, and Job tried to interrupt him about a quarter way in? He said, I'm going to finish. I'm going to finish this. See, I'm done when he says, hey, can you tell the water where to stop? Because I can't. No, I, I can't. I'm good. You know what I mean? And And so... So God is, is telling us what to do, and he says, this is actually going to bring you joy. See, joy and happiness aren't the same thing. Look, I, and I'm not totally against happiness. I'm not a big fan of it because it's a pretty weak emotion because it's so easily destroyed. We've talked about this. I can be happy one minute. My drive-thru order's wrong. Now I'm not happy. So happiness is overrated. However, joy and peace and hope, man, these things... These things, if you get them right, even these little moments of happiness, you'll actually put them in the right place too. Joy. What's, what, why the joy? Is there anything more joyful than to be in God's will? 
I love this. Uh, you can tell I listen to Farrar's podcast a lot. Farrar said, he said, if you want a man to find his true purpose, let him glorify God. Let him worship God. If a man's praising God, he's found his true purpose. And so that's what he's saying here. This is joyful. Why am I joyful? I'm not going to hell. I was going to hell. That's great news, isn't it? And he says, so what's going to happen, this abiding in me and obeying me is not going to be burdensome. It's actually going to bring joy. So now he's promising joy. Look at 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, now he's talked about this before. We've been commanded to love one another. Love for God leads for love to the Son, and obedience to the Son leads to love of each other. You see how it works? See, first of all, I've got to say, all right, you told me to love each other. I don't know how to do this, so I'm going to start out by loving God. Then loving God means that I've got to love his son. Because Remember that, what he said about that? You know, only those who do the will of my father. What's one of the one things we know is absolutely the will of the father, that we love his son? Okay, so I want to do the will of God, so I love his son. And when I love his son, that that, that breeds... It breeds obedience in my life. So I now love the Son so much, I'm obedient to the Son. So one of the things I have to be obedient about is to love each other. See how it works? See, what we try to do is try to skip steps, and that's why we get frustrated. It's one of the things we're doing with themanchurch.com. Nothing frustrates men more than to give them high challenge, but don't give them high equipping. You haven't shown me how to do it. Be the spiritual leader. We don't even know what that means. Teach your wife the Bible. I don't know it. Disciple your children. What does that mean? Hey, man, you kind of got on this. I'm kind of convicted. I guess I'm not who I was supposed to be. Can you help me to be that guy? Nah, we got nothing for you. See you at the next event. Listen to the next Father's Day message when we jump on you again. (laughs) You won't hear it at Mother's Day because we're scared of them. You ever heard a Mother's Day message where they get on the moms? I've heard one. I heard one. <laughs> and the pastor is still and the pastor is still there. So you can do it. You know, you can do it. But anyway, so I was so proud of you that day. But anyway, I acted like oh I oh I got in the car and I said, I'll tell you, Danny's lost his way. <laughs> I don't know what he was talking about. But anyway, so but there is a high standard for men and women in the Bible. Not just men, but women as well. However, for men are women, and women do a better job of it because they network and they get their Bible studies, they do well. So they, they do get challenged, but then they get equipped for the most part. But men usually get challenged, but they don't get equipped. And so we're trying to change that dynamic and change that culture. But this is what Jesus is saying. This is how it works. I'll sh- he didn't just tell you to do something and not tell you how to do it. That's what I love about him. He's a good teacher. He's, he's a great leader. He's, he's a Lord that went to the cross on our behalf, and then he obeyed the Father before he told us to obey him. And then he says, I want you to love each other, but then I'll give you the power to actually love these people. One of the best Rick and Bubba shirts you have, and we got it. Jesus loves you, and I'm trying. Because, because and that's a, I had somebody tell me at the grocery store. I wore it one day because I like for people to be upset by it. And, and somebody, somebody looked at it, and you know what they said? That's the most honest shirt I've ever seen. Jesus does love you. He showed that on the cross. And I'm working on it. He's teaching me to love you. Jesus already loves you, but he's going to teach me to love you. There's a lot of truth in that. It says deeper theology than just a cute shirt. All right, so, so look at 13. So in 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And here goes Jesus again, just being so consistent. Jesus has said, there's no greater love than if you lay down your life for his friends. And then what, what was he about to do? Lay down his life for his friends. He didn't ask us to do anything that he wasn't willing to do. I love that. You don't, you don't find perfect leaders like that in the world. Jesus will die for his friends. This is the example. This is love. Because he just said, I, remember I command you to love each other. What's that look like, Jesus? Well, greater love, greater love has no man than that he would lay down his life for his friends. So, oh, what kind of love are you talking about? You're about to see it. Sacrificial love for the benefit of others. Trevor Morgan with a great song. He says, imagine a kingdom where the king got on his knees 
and he went to the cross and he died for the lost, just like me. Imagine a kingdom like that. That's the kind of king we serve. I'm good with serving that king, aren't you? I'm not going to ask you to do anything I didn't do. And, and so if we really love each other, we're willing to put your needs ahead of our own, even to death. Look at 14. And that's talking about the church, too, the way we're supposed to look after each other. All right, let's look at 14. You are my friends if, my goodness, Jesus, with all the ifs, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Everybody still good? See, it's not a low standard, is it? I'm a friend of Jesus. Are you? Do you obey me? Well, no. Well, then you're not my friend. Do you ever feel like you have a friend if the friend betrays you? Does that feel friendly? Is that the person you want to hang out with? I'm your friend, Rick. Ah, I, didn't, I don't think so. You, you actually undercut me. No, I'm, I'm still your friend. No, you just say you're my friend, but you don't act like you're my friend. That's what Jesus is saying. You know what I love? Man, aren't you going to love this? Because it's so sad what we're about to see in this room. How many people do you truly know that do what they say they'll do? How many? I mean, you can, you can count on it. And I, and I really was, was shocked and encouraged. I had a pastor sit across from me that was trying to learn about themanchurch.com. I presented it to him. He said, this is, much, this is more enthusiasm I've seen for the gospel and I won't say some of the examples he used because that's not important today. Bottom line is I like this. He said, you know, where I, where I am, I do gatherings, I do pull men out, and he does. He said, but boy, this curriculum could be good. He said, this, this will help us in our small groups. And I'll tell you what else I'm going to do. I'm so fired up about it, I'm going to go tell all the pastors that I know about it. And look, and I want to apologize to him if he's watching this because he knows who he is. I got in the truck and thought, he won't do that. I mean, he might use it for himself. He's not going to tell other people about it. He's just trying to make me feel good. All of a sudden, manchurch.com goes live. Here comes this huge church buying massive curriculum, the pursuit curriculum for a church somewhere in North Carolina. And so the whole team started going, where'd this one come from? Rick, is this somebody you talked to? No, I talked to him. Maybe they heard it on the show. Maybe. We don't have an affiliate there, but maybe they use one of the streaming apps or something like this. Everybody on, the, everybody on the team, Did you? who, who did this? Where did this lead come from? I don't know. Let's, let's find out. You know, he said, the guy Rick had lunch with told me that our men could use this, so I bought it. He did what he said he was going to do. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Friends do what they say they're going to do. You're my friend if you actually obey me. Friends don't say one thing and then never do it. You actually do it. it it's action. Remember James? Remember James? Hey, this church body, we got problems. There's too much sin in here. We got things going on shouldn't be going on. I don't like the way we're behaving. We're behaving. Therefore, submit, resist, come near. Action. <coughs> submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Come near to God and he'll come near to you. He really likes to see people of action. And hey, he loves men of action. Loves them. I tell you what he's not crazy about, men who don't act. He's not a, apathy. Hey, God hates apathy. Hates it. So he's saying, if, if you obey me, then you are my friends. Look at 15. No longer do I call you servants. That's cool. For the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father. I've made known to you. Isn't that kind of cool? He said, look, this is. This year. Hey, y'all were servants. That's over. Now, now Paul comes back and says, no, wait, wait a minute. We're still do loss. We're still bond service. I got you. But what I'm telling you is the kind of servants you guys are, normally the king does not clue in the servants on everything that's going on. I've clued you in. I, 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 haven't, I haven't hid anything from you. I've, he said, look, uh, I, I've told you everything that you could ever want to know. You are privy to, to, to these revelations, not because... You know, you're, you're going to be, you are wiser or, or, you know, but what he's saying is I'm going to tell you exactly what you need to know. And I always keep my friends informed. You're not just, you're not just my servants. You're also my friend. You know how you know that, that you're not just a servant, you're a friend because I keep you informed. I don't withhold anything from you. Y'all see this? 
Undoubtedly, we're friends. I'm holding up the Bible if you're listening to this. Undoubtedly, we're friends. Now, we're only friends if we do what he says, but you know why he's sowing that you can be his friend? I keep you informed. I tell you, everything, every revelation you ever need to know, it's right here. I didn't hide this from you. I love that. Let's go to verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Same thing again. What is he talking about here? What is he talking about here in 16 and 17? I'll finish out 17 here. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So his followers are privy to such revelations, not because they're wiser or better, and and consequently move the right choices because Christ chose them. So what I'm saying is they didn't say, hey, look what we did. Hey, we made better choices. We're wiser. We learned. And then we did what we had to do to actually be in the right, this right relationship with Jesus. He said, no, that didn't happen. I actually went around and chose all you. I chose you, and then I trained you. There's been oftentimes you've tried to reject me, actually. But what actually happened here is that I chose you and then I trained you and I informed you and I grew you and I taught you. I actually was the one that went on action to teach you what you needed to do. You really didn't come looking for me. I'm the one that kind of started this relationship between us. And, and, And I love it. He says, I chose you and I set you apart that you may go and do what? So you, people get excited and, hey, man, look at me. Jesus came out. I'm part of the church. I've been set apart. I've been set apart. Set apart to do what? Go bear fruit. Oh, so I just don't sit here and say I'm set apart. No. No, you don't. Yeah, I just don't sit here and say I'm redeemed. No. I don't sit here and say, hey, Jesus chose me. No. I don't just sit here and say I'm part of the elect. No. You go bear fruit. Hey, I've been redeemed. Go bear fruit. He, he says it, guys. I mean, I, I'm not just, this is not some little thing I came up with. He says, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. What does that mean? The disciples have been sent on a mission, and in that mission, fruit is the central focus and what fruit is he talking about? There's a lot of things he's talking about. Okay, I acknowledge that. But can I tell you the two that stand out? Evangelism and mission. Evangelism and mission. He says that you go out, appointed that you go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, meaning it's now going out and it's changing the culture so that whatever you ask in the, in the Father Ask the Father in my name, meaning let's get in your will. He may give it to you. These things I commanded you so that you will love one another. There's a lot of things that are a part of fruitfulness, certainly holiness, but, but I'm going to tell you what's right at the middle of it. The first, one of the first things he's looking for to say, this is the fruit I want, is evangelism mission, going to reach the world. At, at the end of every service at our church, we say we, we hear this, you're sent. See, and, and, and we were just talking about this at lunch. This doesn't mean... Nothing wrong with this. This doesn't mean that we sit around the church and wait for them to come to us. Certainly that can be part of it. Sometimes somebody walks in the church and that's great. You certainly can invite people to church. But that's not really what church is for. Church is to get us to the place and in the right relationship with Jesus that we start bearing fruit when we go out the door. Because we don't sit and wait. We actually get up and go. And as soon as we leave there, what, what happens to too many of us is we think, well, leaving the church on Sunday and the switch goes off. Flip that back on again next Sunday if it doesn't rain. Okay? That's not what happens. We're supposed to leave after worshiping the Lord that we're supposed to already belong to, and if not, we get a chance to belong to Him. We, we hear the truth. And this is supposed to be the pep rally for, for, for those that are friends of Jesus and for those to become friends of Jesus that aren't, but then you're sitting there and they say, and now, bear fruit. Bear fruit. So we'll end this today by asking the question, are you fruitful? Remember another thing in Matthew 7. 
why am I was Matthew seven? I feel like a lot of this is 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 Matthew seven parallels a lot. Jesus said that a healthy tree will cannot bear bad fruit. Not it should not. It cannot. Well, now you don't you understand a little better now? Because he said, if you abide in the vine and you keep your arms around my waist and you abide in me and you keep on getting the power from me, then when your branch will only bear good fruit, it won't bear bad fruit. And we're talking about we make a mistake and we and we stumble and we're convicted and we say, hey, man, that shouldn't have happened. I repent of that and I'm back up and I'm, I'm back to bearing good fruit again. But what the Bible is talking about, that friends of Jesus and disciples of Jesus do not live in perpetual sin. They don't. Not because of you, but because of him. Because the vine does not produce bad fruit. Examine yourself today, brothers. Examine yourself today, sisters who may be peering in or listening. Examine yourself today, those who claim to belong to Jesus. Those who claim to have their branch connected to the vine. And then look at your life and see if you can prove it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for these convicting words. Thank you for how you're walking us through this, this powerful, powerful message. But really, Lord, I hope today we just leave here with one thing, not overwhelmed, but just, just breathe it out saying, you know what? I just need to be connected to the vine. I just need to abide in you, Jesus. And if I continue to abide in you, then the things that you expect from me will flow from me because you're the vine. I am the branch. I just need to stay connected. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Hey, this is Rick, and that concludes this week's Bible study. Thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to go back and hear other Bible studies or maybe some that you've missed even in this series, you can find them by clicking the media button at BurgessMinistries.com.